0: This podcast is brought to you by EverythingVoluntary.com. My name is Skylar Collins, and this is Everything Voluntary. Liberty Classroom is the premier online university for libertarian and free market thought. Take courses from your computer or while driving in your car. To sign up for Liberty Classroom, please use my special link at libertyclassroom.info. That's libertyclassroom.info. If you're new here, let me tell you what this podcast is all about. It's about voluntarism, free markets, peaceful parenting, radical unschooling, and much more. Thank you so much for listening, and please enjoy. Alright, we're going to continue two mini series, Economics for the Citizen and Wizard's Rules in this episode. Economics for the Citizen Part 8. Excuse me. That is not the mini series. The mini series is Economics 101. And for now, we're using Economics for the Citizen, which is a series written by economist Walter Williams. Um, so let's see. Part 8 of Economics for the Citizen. This one is on property rights. All right, here we go. Economic theory is broadly applicable. However, a society's property rights structure influences how the theory will manifest itself. It's the same with the theory of gravity. While it, too, is broadly applicable, attaching a parachute to a falling object affects how the law of gravity manifests itself. The parachute doesn't nullify the law of gravity. Likewise, the property rights structure doesn't nullify the laws of demand and supply. Property rights refer to who has exclusive authority to determine how a resource is used. Property rights are said to be communal when government owns and determines the use of a resource. Property rights are private when it's an individual who owns and has the exclusive right to determine the non-prohibited uses of a resource and receive the benefit therefrom. Additionally, private property rights confer upon the owner the right to keep, acquire, and sell the property to others on mutually agreeable terms. Man, so much to say. I'm going to keep going though. I'll save it to the end. Property rights might well, might be well-defined or ill-defined. They might be cheaply enforceable or costly to enforce. These and other factors play a significant role in the outcomes we observe. Let's look at a few of them. A homeowner has a greater stake in the house's future value than a renter. Even though he won't be around 50 or 100 years from now, the house's future housing, the house's future housing services figure into its current selling price. Thus, homeowners tend to have a greater concern for the care and maintenance of a house than a renter. One of the ways homeowners get renters to share some of the interests of owners is to require security deposits. Here's a property rights test question. Which economic entity is more likely to pay greater attention to wishes of its clientele and seek the most efficient methods of production? Is it an entity whose decision makers are allowed to keep for themselves the monetary gain from pleasing clientele and seeking efficient production methods? Or is it entities whose decision makers have no claim on those monetary rewards? If you said it is the former, a for-profit entity, go to the head of the class. While there are systemic differences between for-profit and non-profit entities, decision makers in both try to maximize returns. A decision maker for a non-profit will more likely seek in-kind gains such as plush carpets, leisurely work hours, long vacations, and clientele favoritism. Why? Unlike his for-profit counterpart, he doesn't have property rights to take his gains. Also, since he can't capture for himself the gains and doesn't allow or doesn't himself suffer the losses, there's reduced pressure to please clientele and seek least cost production methods. You say, Professor Williams, for pr- for-profit entities sometimes have plush carpets, have juicy expense accounts, and behave in ways not unlike nonprofit. You're right, and again, it's a property rights issue. Taxes change the property rights structure of earnings. If there's a tax on profits, then taking profits in a, in a money Form becomes more costly. It becomes relatively less costly to take some of the gains in non-money forms, mm-hmm. right? You got to you got to expense off. You've got to expense off some of that profit into other forms of, I guess, uh, gains or profits, so that you're not paying as much taxes. There you go. It's not just businessmen who behave this way. Say, say you're on a business trip. Under which scenario would you more likely stay at a a $50-a-night hotel and eat a Burger King? The first is where your employer gives you $1,000 and tells you to keep what's left over. The second is where he tells you to turn in an itemized list of your expenses, and he'll reimburse you. In the first case, you capture for yourself the gains from finding the cheapest way of conducting the trip, and in the second, you don't. These examples are merely the tip of the effect that property rights structures has on resource allocation. It's one of the most important topics in the relatively new discipline of law and economics. All right, so that's it as far as this essay Property rights, property rights is something that we cannot escape in a world of scarcity. What is, and, and he didn't really get into this, this is a little deeper, but I'm going to right now, and this is something I I've, I've talk about all the time. What is scarcity? It's very simple. Scarcity is when human wants are greater than the means to satisfy those wants. So we could, we could say the world is scarce because if we add up all the human wants in the world, that's greater than all the resources in the world. But we can also take a particular object, right? Say my house, and we can say it's scarce because there are no doubt people out in the world that want my house, as do I. But there's only one of my house. So my house is scarce. My, my body, my person, my, my physical body is scarce. There are people right now who want to use my body, control my body, have a say in what I do with my body. And then, then there's me, who also wants a say. My body, my person is scarce. If we add up all the houses in the world, if we add up all the bodies in the world, same thing. There's greater want than there is the ability to satisfy those wants. That's what scarcity is. The purpose of property rights. Property rights don't just exist in nature. Okay. They're not something that exists, right? They're imaginary. They are a social construct for the purpose of reducing conflict over scarce resources. So we live in a world of scarcity. That's real. That's not imaginary. And because of the scarcity, there is potential for conflict. Conflict is when two or more people have uh, differences about how a particular scarce resource should be used, right? You want me to wear a mask because of the quote-unquote pandemic in the world today, June 2020. I don't want to wear the mask. You are attempting to control the scarce resource that is my body, and as am I. Who should get, whose will should prevail over the use of my body? Well, property rights, is the way that we allocate that control. And when that control is adequately allocated, properly allocated to the task at hand, then there's no question about whose will prevails, mine or yours. Now, you can't escape scarcity, and so you can't escape property rights. Okay? Even even somebody who says I'm not going to respect any property rights, property rights don't exist for me, they're they're going to butt up against um, not only are they going to butt up against people who do believe in property rights, but that claim by itself that they don't respect anybody's property rights is itself a claim of property rights in, in every other scarce resource. To say that you're not going to respect ownership claims, you're not going to respect property rights that anybody claims, which is what ownership is, is to say that you are going to take it upon yourself to decide what scarce resources you're allowed to exert your will over. That is itself a property right claim. You just happen to be claiming the entire world. And if you're serious about that, then, then you gotta ask yourself, is that more likely or less likely to lead conflict with other people? Maybe you relish the conflict. Maybe you want to live your life that way. That's fine, but I wouldn't be surprised if sooner or later you get put down. Just as human beings put down a grizzly bear rampaging through the town, right? You become a technical problem. Now, this isn't, a, this isn't entirely economic theory that I've been discussing. This is property rights theory. It's uh, political theory in a sense. It's legal theory in a sense. But for the purposes of economics, who may decide how a scarce resource is used? In other words, who has the property right or the uh, ownership in a particular resource, who, who we recognize as the owner of a given resource, will determine the incentive structure of how that resource is used. This is a word that he didn't use in this essay, and that is incentive. There are incentives and disincentives and how the relationships that are recognized between not only between people, but between people and scarce resources determines incentive structures. He did talk about how a homeowner has a greater interest in maintaining the home because of uh, f- future property value. If he wanted to sell it or if you wanted to hand it down to his kids who may want to sell it. The homeowner as owner has a greater incentive because of those possibilities. Because as, as his ownership claim is recognized, he's allowed to do certain things with that property, including, uh, sell it off. So because of that, he has a greater incentive to protect the house than, than does say somebody he rents it to, right? They're not concerned about future value. They're just using it temporarily for their own, you know, to satisfy their own wants and purposes of of shelter and a place to store their stuff for a time. Maybe uh, and, and it's interesting, let's say you do have a renter, you're a landlord, and you're in charge of all maintenance and you and you make sure because you know that renter is not going to be there forever. At some point they're going to leave and you need to attract a new renter. So you've got to maintain the house so that you can get well, I mean, if you don't maintain the house, you're not going to get as much rent. Maybe you're fine with that, and that that's okay too but let's, let's say you are. The renter doesn't have those incentives because they're not going to reap those rewards later on, which he does talk about. But let's say you're getting tired of renting it and you want to sell it. So you put it up for sale and you give your current renter first option to make an offer. And now that renter, if they're interested, now it, 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 the incentive structure changes for them. Now all of a sudden they're looking around the house and they're going, hmm, we did all this damage here and we did this there. And Maybe, you know, maybe we got to fix that because there's, there's a big possibility this house is going to be ours, or maybe they, de- they decide they'll, they'll find something else somewhere else. that's maybe in a little better condition. But the point is the property rights, uh, the property rights, uh, scheme, I guess that's in effect in a given society, uh, creates incentives and disincentives for how people act. And when a third party, when somebody else comes in and says, we're going to, Make rules about how you can use your property. In a sense, they are expropriating some of your property rights to themselves. And an, another name for that would be theft, right? If we're calling things as they are instead of using these euphemisms. And it's, it's the same for persons. So in this country, uh, chattel slavery, not entirely, mind you, but chattel slavery was abolished back, you know, after the, the American Civil War. 1964 65 1864 65 sorry but in the the amendment i think it's 13th amendment it did not abolish slavery for people who are incarcerated so if the state which is which as we know factually government the state does not exist it's just a group of people forcing other people to pay them they've reserved the right for themselves to not only decide what laws there are and how people can be punished for breaking them, whether or not those laws prohibit actual criminal activities or not. But once uh, a person is incarcerated, whether they were a violent offender or not, the state allows itself to then uh, force that person to work for them in, in essence, to be their slave. So slavery has not been abolished in this country. It's not been abolished in the world. It still exists. And not only in that form, Here's another form that slavery exists. When the state gave itself permission through the 6th, I believe the 16th Amendment, to take a portion of people's income, that also is an expropriation of not only the income, uh, the property that is the income itself, but when you consider how the income was produced, people using their bodies, right, they're trading their physical labor or mental labor or some form of labor with other people, and in exchange receiving money, and then the government comes in and takes a portion of that money, that is a form of indirect slavery because they're claiming a percentage of the use of my body. Okay? So, with income taxation, you also have slavery. You have extortion, you have theft, you have slavery. Right? Anytime you take something from somebody and that somebody used their body to obtain it, you're claiming ownership over their body right? So it, it, in many ways, theft is a form of slavery. And when the government engages in, in theft, which it does through income taxation, it's engaging in an in indirect form of slavery, legal slavery. So it's got legal slavery through through its prison system, and it's got legal indirect slavery through income taxation. I don't, I don't see any way around that. So, all right. Um, <clears throat> if a given society does not recognize individual property rights, let's say the, the powers that be, the, the people with the army and the prison system and the guns decide that property rights should be allocated uh, through central command and control, that government should have the ultimate say on the quote unquote means of production, then you no longer live in a capitalist economy, but you live in a socialist economy. And there are different types of socialist economies. There are There is syndicalism, there's fascism, and there's communism. And they're all just slightly different than each other, but they're all under the socialist economic model. And that creates a certain incentive structure on how people behave, not to mention other economic problems like there's knowledge problems, calculation problems, coordination problems in the production of goods that cause major disruptions and major problems throughout the society, as evidenced by both theory and history of these types of countries. All right. Well... We won't get into that, so let's get on to the next topic. Uh, Wizard's Rules. This is Wizard's Eighth Rule. It's from the book Naked Empire, uh, which is the Sword of Truth series by Terry Goodkind. And I don't know how to pronounce it because it's, uh, it's foreign. And it's just two words. It's Talga Vasternich, which I guess it's, uh, it's a language called Haidaharan, which is a, a fictional language. And it means deserve victory. What does that mean? Deserve victory. Uh, well, it goes on, be justified in your convictions, be completely committed, earn what you want and need rather than waiting for others to give you what you desire. And I would add rather than, rather than taking it, earn what you want and need rather than waiting for others to give you what you desire. Don't be, don't be a dependent, earn what you want, earn what you need. And, uh, as far as your convictions, your beliefs, the things you stand for, your principles, be justified in them. Okay, really examine them and come to a point where you can say with a clean conscience, uh, what I believe is right and I deserve victory. Now, it's easy to say, well, you know, there's a lot of people that believe a lot of what we would probably call wicked things that may also believe that they're, uh, those convictions are justified and that they deserve victory. You know, this, this is really, this is really general advice. And I mean, all, all we can do as people is continue to, to evaluate and reevaluate the principles that we hold and, 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 uh, make sure that if, if we come across arguments or reasons to challenge those convictions that we take them seriously and we give them their day, their day in court, so to speak, as far as the, the courts of our minds. <laughs> um, deserve. Victory. Do the right thing. Be a good person. Study uh, virtue and act virtuously. And if you're, if you're doing that, then who can blame you? I mean, when, when you leave your legacy, whoever comes after you, whoever has known you, whoever speaks of you and tells your story, what will they say? That he was, he was a good person or she was a good person or they, you know, they were an asshole. <laughs> Um, well, that's that's short and sweet, so I'll, I'll keep my comments on it short and sweet, too. That's going to be it for this episode. We talked about property rights, which has a major effect on uh, how economic law is realized in the real world. Um, and we talked about Wizards' uh, rules. Wizards' eighth rule deserve victory. All right. Thank you so much for listening, and have a better day. Please send your comments or questions to everythingvoluntary at gmail.com. Please consider supporting this podcast and everythingvoluntary.com by visiting patreon.com forward slash EVC or paypal.me forward slash everythingvoluntary. Thank you.